All right. Hello, everyone. <laughs> A little loud. Okay, sorry. Uh, thank you for having me here today. My name is Anna, and some of you may know me as the wife of Tony Bichet. Um, I am an associate marriage and family therapist. I'm not yet licensed, but I'm almost there. I currently work for an agency in Pomona by the name of Project Sister Family Services, where we provide support for survivors of trauma. So the main symptom of trauma is anxiety. So I work closely with this on a daily basis with my clients to help them understand what anxiety is and how to cope with it. So today I'll be talking a little bit about what it is to have a basic understanding and some helpful things that can help when you experience it. So if you guys want to shout out some things that you know about anxiety, anything that comes to mind? Stress, yes. Fear. Panic attacks, yeah. No sleep, yeah. Because, because people are on the Zoom, they can't hear everybody asking oh, the questions. Okay. So if you're going to talk, you have to come to speak. Okay. Oh. okay. <laughs> so, yeah, basically from here, when we think of anxiety, there's tension. Uh, someone mentioned panic attacks, stress, worry, um, phobia. These are some of the things associated with anxiety. So what causes these things to develop? Well, one, just like our clients at the agency, it is trauma. Trauma is described as an emotional response to a deeply distressing and disturbing experience. That can look like a car accident, an assault, the death of a loved one. I am currently working with someone at the agency where her brother recently passed away and she has a lot of anxiety about going to sleep. Um, she cannot sleep at night. She's worried about either herself dying or her mom dying next or like even hearing his voice in her sleep. So there's a lot of anxiety associated to that. Stress at work, stress in a relationship, um, maybe feeling invalidated, feeling like things aren't equal, um, maybe stress within intimacy within your relationship. Medication side effects. So if you don't normally have or experience anxiety or have any trauma and you suddenly experience anxiety when you start taking a medication, consult with your doctor. The anxiety may be happening due to the medication. Um, the doctor's pills. <laughs> oh, both. <laughs> Those two. Yeah, financial stress. That's a big one. Uh, school stress. Caffeine. So I had a client, and we were doing an intake, and in our intake we ask how much coffee you drink. I know, so random, but this individual could not sit still, like she has a lot of anxiety, like I was feeling it. And I asked this question and she says, yeah, I do. I'm like, oh, how much? Five to 10 cups a day. I'm like, before we even dive into your trauma, you're going to reduce your caffeine intake because that is giving you like severe anxiety. So think of how much coffee you're having. And if it's more than, you know, one or two, just bring that down. And genetics, if your parents have anxiety, um, it could be genetic while you're experiencing it. Some statistics here. Um, anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults in the United States, and the most common one being generalized anxiety disorder. Some other statistics about generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, um, the different disorders broken down. 
we most of my clients have generalized anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress because of their trauma. So on a spectrum of healthy to clinically significant, healthy anxiety is normal. We have all experienced it at some point. Healthy anxiety is what motivates you to do the work that you need to do. Healthy anxiety motivates you to perform at your best ability. So it's healthy. The other end of the spectrum is when it becomes clinically significant. So it impacts your ability to do your work, impacts your occupation, your social life, your academics. You can't go to work because of anxiety. You can't go out and hang out with friends because of anxiety. That's when it becomes significant. I also wanted to talk about the difference between anxiety and a panic attack. So anxiety is more mental. It's more of the, the fear, the what-if thinking, the rumination, um, because it's excessive worry. So because of the worry, think about it. If you're worrying all day, you're going to be tired. You're going to be fatigued, hard time sleeping at night, more irritable, more tense, difficulty concentrating. That's anxiety, whereas panic attack is more physical in nature. Panic attack is your heart's racing, you have a hot or cold flash, difficulty breathing, chest pain, nausea, shaking. You feel like you're going crazy. You feel like you're dying when you have a panic attack. It's a, it's a scary thing. It's very scary. Um, and unless you know it's a panic attack, then you really don't know what's going on, and that's even more terrifying when you experience it. So just a fun fact, individuals with anxiety also have GI issues. So what we work on is when the anxiety goes down, then the GI issues go down as well. So power of the mind. It, it's not the situation that causes anxiety, but what you tell yourself about the situation that gives you anxiety. For example, something happens, you're called on to do a report at work, and you say, I can't do it, I'm not good enough. What if they figure out that I don't know what I'm doing? Um, nobody likes me, you're going to have anxiety. It's all about what we tell ourselves about the situation, which I'll go into negative self-talk. So we use cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety, and that's CBT. So the CBT triangle is your thoughts influence your mood, which influence your behavior. If my thought is, I'm not good enough, nobody likes me, what's my mood going to be? I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be irritable. So my behavior, I'm going to isolate. Or I might have, you know, outbursts, anger outbursts. So being very mindful about what am I saying. Am I saying something that's true? Am I saying something that's healthy? Am I saying something that's helpful? Or is it a feeling? So a feeling does not mean a fact. If I feel like I'm going to fail, that's not a fact. It's a feeling. And oftentimes people get those confused. Um, and we'll talk more about that on the next slide. So worrying is a false sense of control. Okay. What I mean by that is if you worry and you say, I thought of every worst case scenario so I could be prepared. If I think of everything that can go wrong, I'm going to be prepared. Because what does control give us? Control gives us safety. We want control in our life. Because if we have control, we know what to expect. So worrying is a false sense of control. If 
we need to believe that, well, not we need to believe. The only thing we have control over is ourselves, what we say, what we do. We cannot control what happens to us or what people do to us, but we can only control how we respond to them. So that's a big thing that we work on with our clients at the agency. Whenever there's a worry, it's thinking, what's the worst that can happen? Will it impact me in an hour? Will it matter tomorrow? Will it matter in a week, in a month, in a year? Very important to think about that when you're sitting about worrying about something. And it's also worrying about you're out with friends and you start to worry about what you have to do tomorrow. Well, is that relevant to the present moment? Is that helpful in the present moment? No. Yes, perfectionists, yeah, a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And perfectionism is about control as well, because if you get it perfect, right, then it's in control, you know what to expect, nothing, like, surprises you. Yeah, yeah. So some helpful questions to ask. What is the evidence that this thought is true when you're having a negative thought, a fearful thought? What is the evidence that this thought is not true? So for the example, you're going on a job interview. I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to get it. Well, what's the evidence that this is true? What's your history with job interviews, right? Is this a fact or a feeling? I might feel like I'm going to fail, but there's no evidence in my history to support that. I have done this before, and I'm qualified and prepared to do it again. That's a way that you can challenge yourself. Challenge yourself when you're just stuck in a thought of fear. Asking, am I 100% sure that this will happen? Whatever that fear may be. And getting out of the fear-based thinking and more in solution-based thinking. So asking, what's the worst that can happen if this fear-based thought actually comes true? If it does, what can I do to cope with it? That gets you in solution-focused. So the worst that can happen is that I don't get the job. I can ask for feedback, prepare for the next interview. I know it'll be disappointing, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Asking how many times has this fearful thought, um, this fear occurred before. And when you're having a negative thought, it's important to tell yourself that. This is a fear. It's a, it's a feeling. It's not fact. And I don't need it. It's not helping me. It's not true. It's not relevant right there, right now. So these are some forms of distorted thinking that we work with um, as therapists with our clients. One of the big ones is shoulds. And we do this with our partners a lot. You should do this. Well, you should have known. Or I should have, I should have done this criticizing yourself and others with shoulds. Shoulds are like um, rules. And if you break the rule, then there has to be a consequence, right? Because you're angry. Shoulds create a lot of resentment within a relationship. And it also creates a lot of guilt. Because if I thought I should do something and I don't do it, then there's a lot of guilt involved in that. So we, should, we could should our life away with things that we think could, should happen, but it doesn't help anything. It'd be helpful if we change should to I would like for you to do this or I would like for myself to do this. That would be helpful. Um, emotional reasoning. I feel like an idiot, so therefore I am. It's kind of like the fact, the, the feeling is not a fact. 
Let me see. Overgeneralization. You take a, a math test, you fail, and then all of a sudden, I suck at math, I fail, I'm going to fail my math class, and the whole world, everything math-related sucks, right? No, we have to say, okay, we didn't do well in this, but that's okay, we will try again. It nuts just catastrophize and say we're going to fail out of school. I had someone say, if I fail this, I'm going to fail the class, and then I'm going to fail my college, and then I'm going to end up homeless. I'm like, all right, all from just one. You didn't even fail the test yet. You're already homeless. Let's talk about that. Doesn't doesn't help. <laughs> and then all or nothing thinking. So doing things in absolutes, right? Black or white. It's either I'm good or I'm a failure. There's no in between. And black and white thinking is not helpful. It's not healthy. It's very difficult to live with with, your, with yourself when you're so like all or nothing. Let me see. Mental, mental filter, dwelling on the negatives. So even though positive things are happening in your life, even though good things are happening, all you can see, it's like you have a, a filter in your eyes, and all you can see and take in are the negatives. You can have an amazing day, but because one person, one person didn't compliment you, right, or one person didn't do what you would have liked, then the whole day sucked. It took away from the whole day. Mental, mental filter. Um, and then personalization, blaming yourself for everything. Something can happen around you that has nothing to do with you, but it's your fault somehow. It comes back to you. Yes. So um, I have a question. So um, you're using the example of like uh, taking a test or applying for a job interview. What about people who like uh, suffer for a more serious fears like for example somebody who's terrified of driving on the freeway because mm. I could get into a huge accident and everybody dies right like that it's a little bit more like uh, you know fear of death fear of like the worst thing possibly happening people's safety at risk yeah. what do you uh, say to that I'd say let's go to therapy let's talk about it got a got a fear there so then we ask, the, we ask the individual, well, how many times have you gone into an accident? How many people do you know that have died? Like, where is this fear coming from? How did it develop? And then we challenge it. We say, okay, you went from here to the market. Did you die? Did you crash? Did whatever? And so you kind of, you just work through that fear and see, like, where it comes from and just challenge it. It's all about challenging these distorted ways of thinking. Yeah. Any other questions I can try and answer? I'm sorry? Minimize, so how do we minimize our children from experiencing anxiety? I don't know if you can prevent it. I think you can help them cope with it when it comes up. Their children are going to fear certain things. And you talk about it and you say, okay, what is the feeling? What, you, you look scared right now. Label the feeling, right? What just happened? Okay, this is what we can do with it. You help them understand what this big emotion is in their body and finding ways to, one, soothe themselves and, and to problem solve. So I think anxiety, it's, you feel it in wherever you are. It, it's going to come up for various reasons, as we saw earlier, from stress, from loss of loved ones, from, you know, from anything, really. But it's how do we respond? What, what kinds of things are we telling ourselves about the situation? How could we get through it? 
You mentioned earlier that there is a certain level of healthy anxiety, which I guess maybe normal anxiety. Mm -hmm. How do you distinguish between that and not normal anxiety, like excessive anxiety? Because I consider myself a fairly anxious person. And sometimes I get told a lot, well, just calm down. Don't worry about it. You're being too anxious. Let it go. And Don't I'm you like, love that? Like, just I'm calm like, down. Yeah, I would if I but could. I, like, but I want to know. I, that's, that's what I'm asking. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe you're the one that's not being normal. Like, I'm worried about something that maybe you should be worrying about too, you know? Yeah. How do you distinguish between the two? <laughs> yeah, I do that. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. So... Good question. How do we distinguish? So does it interfere in your life? Does it interfere with your relationship, with your ability to do your work, um, take away your peace of mind? Like, does it really impact your day-to-day, your relationships, your work, your ability to just go out and live life? If you're constantly living in fear, I would say it's impacting you. A healthy anxiety comes up in situational things where you want to perform and do well. Um, the other end of the spectrum would be maybe a generalized anxiety, thinking more uh, what if worst case scenario, right? Maybe that maybe your what ifs aren't actually happening in the moment, but there's a fear of, well, we have to prevent from this happening, but there is no real threat. So anxiety is the, the threat in your environment. Your brain is telling you you're in danger. So you have to check and you have to see, is there anything actually going on in my environment right now that makes me feel threatened? Yes or no? If yes, what can I do about it to keep myself safe? If no, okay, I need to bring myself down and ground myself. And I I have grounding techniques to talk about as well. Um, uh, Two things. I think one is just to reiterate the point you're making is that it's one thing if I have a presentation at work and then uh, I'm anxious about it and so it makes me like review my notes more than once and it makes you practice and everything. But it's another thing if I can't do the presentation yes. because I'm anxious. Yes. Like, or, or um, it's one thing if I'm, you know, about to walk into, uh, you know, the room here and there's all these people and I don't know how the conversations are going to go. I don't know who to talk to first. So I'm a little anxious because I don't know anyone. Uh, but it's another thing if I look at the door and then I choose to turn around and leave and not enter the room. Mm-hmm. Like, so if it disturbs your function, which I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say something about the kids. Um, so I think um, one thing that's you also alluded to it is that anxiety is contagious. And because you were saying, like, as a therapist, you know, the client comes in and the client's anxious and then you started feeling it. Yeah. So anxiety is a very contagious thing. And it's, when it comes to kids, um, they're, they're learning anxiety. Like anxiety is being coded into them. Uh, especially as they're observing their parents. And I remember um, my first, like, uh, exposure to this was uh, there was an experiment that was video recorded of of a little baby, um, and the researchers put a big snake around the baby, like a safe snake, but it was huge, right? And so what? what? No, there, there are safe snakes. They don't, like, if they're not venomous, they're fine, right? I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> I'm not a zoologist or something, but, you know, it was fine. They probably signed all the liability papers and everything. So um, they put this big snake around the baby, and the baby's just, like, playing with the snake. It's huge. I mean, it's, like, ten times the size of the baby. And they're just, the baby's just playing and fine. And then they, uh, they put the baby on the side like, had, and had the baby observe the snake, and they brought the mother in. 
And the mother really freaked out. Like she got scared. She was like shaking and she was really, really scared. And the baby was watching this. And then they repeated the first exposure again. And the baby couldn't be around the snake. The baby was crying. They couldn't be around the snake because the baby saw the mother get anxious. And so um, I think, you know, we have to be really careful as parents. Um, you know, how are we responding to like anything? You know, the baby falls. Are we like jumping and screaming and, and all that stuff? Yeah. Children are a product of their environment. The way that they see you handle your emotions is how they're going to learn to handle their own. So if they see that the parent is fearful growing up, they will grow to be fearful because that's what they know. My mom was scared of this. I have this anxiety too. Anxiety is also learned. You had a question? Um, so I hear you guys saying that anxiety is either like like concern for a situation that, that is attainable and then you can fix it and address it, like you were talking about a presentation, preparing more for it versus not being able to do it. But those seem like two extremes. I feel like many of us kind of fall in the middle. Like. Absolutely, yeah. So the spectrum where one is uh, the healthy anxiety that motivates you to do your work and then the other end of the spectrum where it's a little more severe and it impacts your ability. Like he was saying, you walk out of the room because you have so much anxiety. And then there's in the middle. Okay, I don't know if I have a question. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think, like, I'm just wondering, these all apply, these apply for the middle ground too. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. So unless, unless you're on this end where anxiety is a part of your daily life, but it's stuff that kind of helps you, it actually, anxiety helps you perform um, versus totally hinders you. There's like that middle area where it, we want to be on the help you perform area. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I had a car accident last July. Oh. And the car was an unintended acceleration. I was going to El Dorado Park, and the car was accelerating by itself. I, I thought it was it by itself. Mm -hmm. And I hit the benches, I hit the benches, I hit it, until I came to the building. Uh, thanks God, the car, I stopped, stopped. Now, it's fear. I couldn't drive the car near the place until now. Every time I come near El Dorado, I can't pass Spring Street mm -hmm. because I think the car is going to go by itself again. And I didn't drive here to the church until last Wednesday. Fear. I couldn't sleep. I'm afraid to get in the car. The car is going to go by itself. But Lexa said, oh, the cut is fine, nothing happened. They denied the allegation, but it happened. So many people yeah. and intended acceleration. Anyhow, uh, last Monday I said, look, I'm going to keep being afraid. Well, not to get in the car, not to drive the car. I have to break that fear. I have to do it. Because I'm not going to be driving in a few more years. I'm not going to be driving. I'm going to be old enough. I can't get a new my mm -hmm. license, probably. Anyhow, last Tuesday night, I said, I'm going to the church tomorrow. I am going to drive to the church. And I came last Wednesday. The Good for you. The car didn't go by itself. <laughs> the car was okay. I'm glad, I'm glad. 
So, but we have to think about it, analyze the situation. Mm -hmm. What's happening to me? Why did this happen? Uh, I asked the good Lord to help me to, uh, to get the fear off of my mind, of my life. Get the fear built in. We have to have faith in God and ask him to help us to break that fear and to go for it. No anxiety. I can sleep. I couldn't sleep for weeks after the car accident. But thanks God, I came last Wednesday. I took the communion and I am so happy and I'm here tonight. And I will drive again tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you for sharing. One, I'm glad you're okay. And that was a really good example about how anxiety can develop. There was an accident, and there, a fear developed of driving. And it's not, you couldn't get in the car. You were scared to drive. You couldn't sleep at night. That's a really good example of how it becomes the other end of the extreme of the spectrum, that anxiety can impact you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, uh, we were at a clergy meeting yesterday, and a lot of the priests were, we had some discussion groups, and a lot of the priests were saying how the pandemic has really caused a lot of fear and anxiety in youth and young people. And this is, has kind of caused some people to really just shut everything off mm -hmm. and be anxious of everything to the point of like complete apathy, like not even getting up or like in a kind of a paralysis kind of way, like not really dealing with the situation and just um, staying in their rooms all day. The big decision that they have in their life is which couch they're going to stay on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is, um, this is something I think that we, I, I, I'm struggling to how to help people like that um, and uh, recogni recognizing that. And, and I'm, and so maybe if you, in your talk, kind of address ways that we can help others that we may be seeing struggling with these things. Yeah. And definitely numbers are skyrocketing for people that are seeking mental health services because of the pandemic. Think about it. We're, we're made to be social. We're social beings. Isolation is not good for us. There's a fear of what if I get sick? What if I lose a family member? Or we can't go about our normal routine that isolation is so bad for us. And it develops in anxiety, in depression. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that right now. And there's a message on the chat on Zoom uh, from Christina Salama. She said, um, I think the point that Tunt was making is to do it afraid. Like, even if you're, even if you're afraid, just do it, um, which is actually one of the most powerful things we can do to overcome fear. Oftentimes, we convince ourselves that we have to resolve the fear before taking the next step. Absolutely. Um, and she said, for more on doing it afraid, uh, Joyce Meyer has a book called Do It Afraid, which is highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah. We call that exposure therapy. Expose yourself to your fear. Go and do it. Baby steps. Take the car. Just sit in the car at first. Don't even drive. Take it, you know, from around the block, you know taking baby steps and exposing yourself. And each time that you expose yourself to a fear, knowing, okay, it wasn't so bad. It was okay. Paul. 
So I guess going back to like a bonus point in a little bit, um, I have a friend who is a police officer and right now like the whole mentality about them is pretty awful. So he actually, he's struggling pretty much like waking up and just going to work. So I guess like how do you tell someone that they'll get through something that's like in their environment constantly? That's a good question. And that's tough. He needs a strong support group, you know, people within his job to, to turn to. They're going through it together to be each other's backbone, seek friends and family and his own therapy and supporting himself in that way. Yeah. It's a loaded question, like how to get through the day, right? And you got to just know what gives you strength. Why do you wake up and go to work? Why... Why do you do this? Where can you turn to when you're having a hard time to get your strength back? Is it through prayer? Is it through being with family, being with your children, going to church? Where do you get your strength to be able to keep going? And so it's recognizing, one, it's recognizing I'm having a hard time, and this is why. And it's acknowledging. You have to acknowledge that there is an issue. And then saying, okay, he can't change the system. He can't change the fact that there's this anger and hate and so much fear, right? right now going on um but there's ways that he can cope there's ways that he can cope and get support for it that's very general off the top of my head i know but yeah therapy yeah but it's not being alone in it. It's sharing it. You have a spouse. You have a partner. Share that fear with your partner. You have friends going through it. You have family. Like, seek your people. Right now in the pandemic, it's hard to go out and just see who you want and be in person. But call, FaceTime, text. Like, keep in touch with the people that are good for you, that support you, that uplift you. Exposure therapy gone wrong. <laughs> Nail in the tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find yourself a toady. <laughs> It was you were challenging your fear. You told yourself, "I'm not gonna let this." Mm-hmm.
Thank you. Yes. Question? A couple different questions. Is there, a, is there such a thing as residual anxiety, meaning five different things result in, like, you know, additive anxiety? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you an example of what I think is anxiety, but I'm not sure. I can go through a day and have 20 different meetings, and not any one of them is stressful. But you get to 6 o'clock at night, and you're, like, just feeling it. You're feeling the pressure. And it takes, like, sometimes it'll take me an hour or two to try to replay why is it that I'm, like, what, tense? And I'm not sure, is that is that normal? Is that anxious? Is it, is, can you take 10 or 20 different little anxieties and turn them into a big one? Absolutely. And, and how do you Absolutely. unwind that? And it's, it's taking a break in your day. It sounds like you did a lot. You mentioned multiple meetings, right? And within those meetings, maybe you had assignments due, things to do other than just the meetings for your work. So you're burnt out at the end of the day. You've overexhausted yourself. So within the day, taking little breaks, stretching your body, going for a walk, drinking some water, making sure you're eating, um, just taking a break from the work. They say even for five minutes is very important. Just even close your eyes for a little bit. Taking a break in between your hectic schedules is important to keep you going and also helps alleviate burnout from happening. Yeah, so it sounds, yeah, yeah. After a long day like that, the tension built up from being bam, 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 back to back with everything. Yeah. So is that on your spectrum healthy? (laughs) I'm just This dark spectrum. The the spectrum is very scary. We're all trying to figure out if we're abnormal. So... No, no, you're not abnormal. You're not abnormal. It's a stress response. It's doing a lot. Family, work, you know, other responsibilities that you have. So it takes a toll. It doesn't, it's not an unhealthy thing. I think it's a very normal reaction to just doing a lot. And it's your body telling yourself you need a break. You need some self-care. Thank you. Just to add to the uh, the cop comment that, uh, that uh, Paul made, uh, I, I I don't know if it's enough, but if if I'm a friend for that cop, I would say, you know, no matter what everybody else is saying, or no matter how what what's out there, you know, you have my support, you have my you know admiration, you have my respect, and try to build up the situation that way and the person that way. Yeah. Seeking that social support, being that person. If no one else is saying it to him, maybe you can be that person saying, hey, I'm here from you. You, you want to talk about it? Like, I'm here. Being that open ear. And a lot of times we don't need answers. We don't need, okay, this is what you do to solve your problem. We all have problems, but we all have solutions. We just we want to talk about it. We need to know that we're supported and we're heard and that we're validated. That's very important.
And so even for the children, you know, the teens that you're talking about, they're, they're all going through it together. And it's important that they know they're not alone because each and every one of us have felt it to some point, to some degree, right? And I'm wondering things that they can do to where they can get together, some kind of group activity or Zoom talk for them just to know, like, hey, you're not alone. This is, this is actually a very normal response for something that's very abnormal. Like, this is not a normal thing for us. Everyone having a mask, can't hug, can't touch, can't go anywhere, can't see your usual people. It's hard. That, makes, that makes a lot of sense because, I, I, you know, in my mind, like, every each one of those, they're separated and isolated. But if we can reach out to them and say, you're not alone. Everybody else is going through this. And your case is not, it's not a case, but your situation is everybody else's situation. And there is so many people just like you that I think may give them enough comfort and reassurance where they start saying, okay, well, I'm not so bad and I'm okay. And then Mm -hmm. they encourage them to come out more. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. The number one thing is just reach out to your people. Reach out to your friends. Reach out to your family. You never know what one text like, hey, how you doing, is going to do for that person. What it can open up. You may really make your day, their day, with just a simple, hey, I thought of you. How you doing? They feel cared for. They feel like, hey, someone remembered me. Someone has noticed me. So many people tell me, I've lost friends. I have, like, two good ones now. Because people just are not really keeping in touch. If I don't see you, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, you know, I love you, hope to see you someday. But there's no real effort being put in to keep the connections going. So for a lot of people, this pandemic has basically been a year of almost solitary confinement. So it's no wonder we're seeing the spikes in violence and mental illness and mm-hmm. physical illness and everything. Um, what role do you think spirituality, obviously since we're here in an orthodox setting, what role does spirituality have in the healing of anxiety? I mean, obviously there's pills, but I can tell you from prescribing them, I'm a physician myself, they're not, they're not a panacea. Um, maybe you have some thoughts on that given your own unique experience and crossover being orthodox as well? I think medication is definitely helpful, but not the only thing. If you're taking medication, but you're not addressing what's going on in your mind, it's not going to help. The same fears are still going to be there. You're not challenging the thoughts. You're not working through them. You're not seeking support. So medication in combination with therapy is very effective. And turning to your faith, having a hard time, turning to the priest, and saying, I need support right now. I need to talk about what I'm going through. Going to church, prayer, uniting together, and just being together on a Sunday. You, you see other people. You're comforted by, you know, the support of one another. And definitely using prayer. You know, for affirmations, having a verse that you find strength from. And putting that affirmation, like putting that verse in your office, in your bedroom, in your car, and just looking at it. Maybe having it as a background on your phone for support when you need it. I think, you know, for those that do describe themselves as spiritual, as religious, turning to the church, turning to prayer in such a time will give an enormous amount of strength. Yeah. So. Yes. So 
So just like a quick Google search, um, Bible verses of fear and anxiety, you know, there are about a hundred. So the word of God is not, it's there. So he, God is there for us and he has the words, um, yes, therapy and medication, everything we, what you're saying is perfect, but also not neglecting that the word of God should be there, right in our faces because it is lonely out there and just from people's examples who have turned to the Bible and have turned to God and strengthening their relationship with God, it seems like at the end of the day, that's who's really there for us and who can get us through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's true. You mentioned earlier that some of like the self-brought-on anxiety is about us trying to gain control and get control of the situation. And if I can be perfect and everything could be lined up just right, then that gives me a sense of control and empowerment. And my anxiety comes in when I don't have that control and where I don't have that perfection. So I think the spirituality can come in when I realize that I don't have to be in control. And the person that needs to be in control is God. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I hand over the control to God and the problem to God and all the details to God, then I'm free to be anxiety-free. Then I can just back off. And in the Psalms, when we pray, there are Psalms that say, um, I I don't remember the exact wording, but do not let me um, dwell over things I have no control over or that are too big for me. So those prayers, those Psalms, they help us to release that control and give the control I don't have to be perfect anymore. I don't have to have full control anymore. And I think that is is a spiritual way to approach it. And I think that will help us with anxiety quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That control piece is huge. It's things that happen to us we cannot control. And ultimately we know our lives are in the hands of God. And we are protected. We are guided. We are supported and given strength when we need it. We just have to turn and pray and, and ask for it and seek it. Any other questions? You guys are doing great. So I had a little bit of um, information for a panic attack. If it's happening, as we said, the symptoms, what's going on in my body, racing heart, hot and cold flashes, um, nausea, trembling, Calling it like it is, right now I'm having a panic attack. When you name it, you empower yourself. You know what's going on. You're not just left in the dark wondering why your body is responding a certain way. Um, And looking, okay, am I actually in danger right now? My body is responding, but am I in danger? Where am I? Who am I with? What am I doing? That can help de-escalate. One of my favorite techniques for um, bringing down a panic attack is categories. So counting categories. Looking for, within the room, for colors. How many red items do you see? How many books? How many doors, windows, uh, tile, anything? Counting anything within the room distracts you from the feeling of the panic attack and really alleviates the anxiety. Another one is the five senses. I really like using this. It's looking for five things you see and describing them. What do I see in front of me? Okay, laptop, chair, I have my clothes, the mic, 
for things you feel and describing it. Is it smooth? Is it hot? Is it warm? And focusing on that sensation. Three things you hear, two things you smell, and one thing you touch. And so describing each and every one of those. Okay, I have lavender. It's mint. It's opening up, um, you know, my smell and the touch. Or I'm sorry, the taste. The taste. Putting something in your mouth and focusing on the flavor. Some chocolate, ice, water, anything. So by using your senses, that helps bring down the anxiety. It's a distractor. When you focus on your anxiety, how fast your heart is beating, that's how much more you're going to experience it. So using this to help bring yourself down when you're in a moment of anxiety can be really helpful. And the biggest thing is breathing, regulating our breathing. That is the most important thing for anxiety. When we're stressed, when we're anxious, we're doing shallow breathing, and we're not getting enough oxygen, and your system goes into this panic mode. So how many of you have seen a baby in your life? Okay. They breathe properly. Babies do belly breaths, and it's like you see their belly going out and going back in. So I want us all to practice this. You're going to put your hands on your belly, and we're going to breathe in through the nose. All the way, I want to see the bellies go out. No chests, bellies. And breathe out from your mouth. So do a deep breath in through the nose. And out through the mouth. So it's important to check your breathing throughout the day. Am I breathing properly? This is going to help a lot with your energy. This is going to help a lot with your anxiety. Um, When you start to notice yourself being even more anxious, breathing in for four seconds, holding your breath for five seconds, and breathing out of your mouth for six seconds. Doing that three times helps regulate your system. There's another fun, fun, well, fun. It's like you hold one of your nostril, breathe in, and then breathe out from the other one. So breathing in, breathing out, and switching your nostrils can help a lot with the anxiety as well. Different form of breathing and regulating your system. Breathing is very important. Yes. I have a question about panic attacks. Um, what triggers these? Because I feel like sometimes they're just out of nowhere. I'm sure something triggers it, but it feels like it's out of nowhere. And then as a spouse, what can you do to support, or whoever, family member or friend or whoever it is, yeah. what can you do to support that person when they're going through this? Very good question. So a panic attack happens when there's a trigger in your environment, a trigger being something that brings on anxiety. You saw something, you heard something, and it brought on the panic attack. For individuals that have panic disorder, they have panic attacks regularly. If you, I think it, the number is if you have, don't quote me on this, but it's like more than four experiences in your life, you have panic disorder. And those can happen what seems to be out of nowhere. So I need... I need to read up on it. I also don't know for research what they found about it, but they don't know why, but it does happen out of nowhere. But mostly it's there's a trigger in your environment. Um, So using these skills can help bring that down. Now, if your partner has it, it's bringing them down. It's saying, okay, breathe. I'm right here. You're okay. Let's look for categories. Focus on your breathing. I'm right here. You're safe. It's reminding them that they're safe because when your system is in high gear like that, you don't feel safe. Safety is like the last thing you feel. You feel like you're dying. And so it's walking them through it, holding them through it, talking to them. It's just helping them breathe it through. And panic attacks last anywhere between 5 to 30 minutes. And so knowing, okay, within 
you typically have it for five minutes, five minutes is going to be over and we're going to be okay. You're welcome. Good question. I'm going to do what very loud. I know what I'm I know I'm going to do what I know is going to work for her in her moment right now versus like trying to like you were saying before like I or I think it was Nina Ibrahim was saying somebody trying to just tell you oh calm down relax like yeah. nothing's wrong it's like no like really trying to meet your partner where they're at and then continuing like that technique so that the partner feels validated like I'm not crazy for one, having a panic attack, but then also no one thinks I'm crazy for pointing out things in a room, if that's one of the mechanisms, for example. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for sharing that. The, the support of the partner is so important because in the moment you can forget when you're so caught up in, in the fear, it's hard to, if you haven't really practiced it, it's hard to find those coping skills. It's hard to do the grounding technique because you're caught up in what the panic attack feels like. So sharing with your partner, this is what helps me when I have a panic attack. This is what my anxiety looks like. This is what can help me. Some people don't want to be touched. Do not touch me when I'm having anxiety, right? Just sit next to me. Um, others just, they want to be held. So it depends. Some people want to jump in the shower and just wash the anxiety away. I recommend Epsom salt baths to everyone. Go buy Dr. Teal's lavender Epsom salt. And that's the most amazing thing ever. Yes. Yes. So your partners need to know what your triggers are. Your, first of all, you need to know what your triggers are so you can know what brings the anxiety on. And then you teach your partners. This is what gives me anxiety. Situations like this, or what gives me anxiety. And this is also what helps when I experience my anxiety. Yes? All right, there. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Okay, so 
how about resilience? Where did resilience go from this discussion? Because I'm not saying I never have anxiety. I, I'm sure I have had my moments. I have. But, you know, there's something that there's like this stubborn goat inside of me that the more you push it and tell it, no, you can't have what you want or the whole world's against you, the more I like run it at 100 miles an hour and bash it in the head with my horns, you know? So what happened to resilience? How can we cultivate that so that we are not really dealing with people, well, obviously, who experience these feelings as if they're like fragile little Swarovski crystal structures? Because I don't think people, it's not good for people to be like that either. Mm-hmm. It's acknowledging the anxiety. Resilience is knowing I have this, I'm going through this, I'm experiencing this, acknowledging, naming it, and also saying, and I can get through it, and this is how I can help myself. So it's not staying stuck in the fear. It's not staying, you know, I'm I'm a victim, and this is how it's always going to be. It's, okay, I have this, and this is what I can do to support myself. It's knowing anxiety doesn't define me. That's an affirmation I'll show you guys later. I have a bunch of affirmations. But anxiety doesn't define you. It's what you experience, but it's not you. And there are things that you can do, places where you can go to seek the support to make it better. If you need medication, go for the medication. That's what it's for. Help yourself feel better just to feel like you can have your both feet on the ground. Use your support. Pray. Talk to friends and family, right? Go and to I, I have some insight in this because I'm, I'm going to be honest. I... I have a wildly imaginative mind and I am capable of catastrophization on a scale you have not even dreamt of. Like Hollywood. Really? Yes. You haven't met my clients, let me really? tell you. Really? No. Well, well, you know, you know the people who write Arabic movies like where like even your pet goat dies, like I'm better than them uh-huh. imagining the worst case scenario. But yet what I found is that okay, the world's going to fall apart, so the stages. It's like oh my God, there's something adverse happening. Like somebody's like trying to cause a problem for me at work. And then, oh my God, the world's falling apart. And then, no, I'm not going to give in to that. And then, okay, hold my beer. Watch me like get through this. Mm-hmm. Or we're in church. Okay, hold my milk. Okay. So I think there's stages that people go through anxiety. And I don't want to present a chauvinistic way of looking at things, but there's a feminine approach and a masculine approach in dealing with it. The feminine approach is good for that self-soothing and healing during the initial stages, but then the father, the, the, the masculine energy need to come in and push you over the hump and give you momentum so that the anxi- you break through the anxiety. And I'm not saying this without empathy. I'm saying as someone who's actually been through some of these things and have been through some, basically dealt with some pretty terrible people and terrible things in my life. Mm. So I, what I want to make, make sure I tell everyone is it's so good to, do self-care and heal yourself and get through your panic attacks. But the secret to success is then say, well, you know what? They said I can't do it. Well, watch me do it, right? Because that's – we got to get got to get through that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that has worked for you, right? And that has been what has gotten you through it, that mentality. Um, and that's wonderful. And I think everyone has their own way of helping themselves get through it. It's the resiliency – resiliency is knowing I can get through this and I am having a difficult time and by taking care of myself first and acknowledging that this is hard and seeking the support that I have I can absolutely get through it so sometimes there's a conflict with that because if I'm having a hard time but it's like now I'm going to put it aside and I'm going to just I got to push through it push through it you hit a wall because you're pushing through but you don't know how to get 
through. You don't know how to really support yourself to to heal, to understand why it's happening, to get yourself to the next time it comes up, you know, to stop it from the very beginning, pull it from, get it out. Hello? Okay. So I, I get what Rami's saying. Like, where's that balance? Like, of, like, can you be too... that that's going to pay off later because mm-hmm. it's kind of like retraining their brain. Is this mm-hmm. true? Is this false? I don't know. Don't trust the therapist. No. <laughs> no, I like, what do you think? Is that right? Like when you're like over, when you make them like name their feelings all the time mm-hmm. early and then later. And so then we could do this with ourselves. Yes. 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 So, yes, you want your children to know what is the feeling that they're experiencing. Right now they're sad. Okay, you're upset. Tell me what happened. Okay, you're angry. Let's talk about it. And this is what we can do with the anger. So it's not, oh, honey, you're okay. And, oh, should I should I wipe this and, and do this? And please don't cry. And when you're panicking, they're going to panic. They, they cry even more because you're basically crying with them. So they think, okay, well, my, my boo-boo must be bad, and I'm just going to milk it now. And I'm just going to, you know. You want to label, name it and then teach them how to cope with it. So knowing that they can get through it next time. They're going to feel their feelings no matter what, right? So yes. we don't, feelings happen. Everybody has feelings. Yes. They're like, you don't, you cannot, you cannot like trump a feeling, but you can trump a reaction, right? Yes. So they're going to feel it. So all we have to do now is to, teach them how to cope with that feeling. Yeah. And like, I'm the kind of parent that's like, like my kid will fall and I won't react. Like I don't react at all. And it's helped because all of them are tough cookies now. Like they just, they get up and they shake it off and keep going. Like I don't have the kids that just sit there and wail about it for a while. Mm -hmm. Like, and then if they are, then I'm like, oh no, something's really wrong. Like they're actually really hurt here. Let's address the situation. But ultimately like you can't change, you can't, we're not babying them by telling them, this is how you're feeling. Actually, my daughter one time was just like, mom, I'm really frustrated because whatever. And I'm like, that's great. I was like, oh my gosh, she just told me how she's feeling. I don't have to sit there and guess how you're feeling or why you're panicking or why you're crying or why you're throwing things or, you know, like why you won't eat or why you won't sleep. You're telling me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so, it's valuable for them to understand how they're feeling. Cause even as adults, sometimes I don't know how I'm feeling right now. I feel a certain way or I just want to like 
You guys ever had that when you just want to cry and you don't know why? Mm-hmm. No? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Come on. <laughs> Everyone has had that. Okay, thank you. Well, you just like, you just, and you don't know what you're feeling. But I think teaching, teaching feelings early on is like super valuable. I feel like that never really happened, especially with like Egyptian parents. That's <laughs> we're just like, no one cares how you're feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you, I build think- a, you build a foundation. You, t- you help them communicate down the line. You help them advocate for themselves. You help them understand themselves and how to have healthier relationships down the line when they can identify their feeling, you know, share their feeling, cope with it, and help themselves through it. You, that's how you teach resilience mm-hmm. as well. You teach them to be independent. It's like, all right, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I can do with it. And that has to start young. You know, parents wonder, I have kids coming in. They throw th- stuff all the time. They're so angry, so angry. And I find out parents deal with their anger the same way, but they don't want their kids to show it in that way. Well, how do you want your kids to do it any different if you're the one throwing stuff, yelling, cursing? They're only doing what you're showing them. They are a product of their environment. If you teach them when we're upset, when we're anxious, we let's take deep breaths together. They have the cutest videos online of like little kids telling other little kids, let's breathe, let's breathe. And so you teach them those skills early on. So being very careful how you manage your emotions in front of your children because they're picking up on that. They're going to do the same thing. Um, I just wanted to say something too along the same topic. Like I think the resilience is is like from what I'm hearing, it's like resilience and coping. There, there's this like misconception that they're opposite. That the resilience is in coping with your uh, your emotions, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, anybody go to work and I have plenty of coworkers like, dude, their parents mess them up. They don't know how they're feeling. Like, have you ever met somebody like that? So like that's like it's like it's like that's what happens in 30 years if you don't know how to say I'm frustrated, I'm upset, I'm sad. Like that's what happens, right? Mm-hmm. So like um so um like it, and I can tell you like with with our daughter, she's a very very emotional per, er, strong emotion person and we got her this book what am i feeling and i can tell you it made a huge difference yeah i'm sad i'm happy so okay great that's step one now let's figure out how to get through it right like this is like like it's it's so important and i just want to like there's also like this like um uh i think something like rami said that i wanted to comment on too like if you have uh, a headache do you tell somebody just get over it get over your headache no, people it, people physically cannot get over their anxiety. It yeah. is a mental illness. Like you cannot get over. Like there's this, especially in our culture, mental illness is a taboo. It's like this is for this is for the losers. Only they get. Yeah. They, they only have mental illness. No, it's a it's a thing that we all struggle with. What I'm sure you know the percentages. Like it's got to be 40, 50 percent of people that struggle with this. Like it's a high amount. So the more like it's 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 not it's we treat it culturally as a taboo topic but it's not it happens to everybody and we have to deal with and get ahead of it which is why you're here so thank you yeah thank you yes you can't express your emotion like i get anxiety sometimes i'm like why am i anxious uh my older daughter the other night she kept saying i feel frustrated and she was crying. She's like, I feel frustrated, but she couldn't tell us why she's frustrated. Sometimes we all have that, where we feel a very strong emotion, a very strong feeling, 
but we don't know why. Is mm -hmm. there any uh, coping mechanisms or techniques that can help with that? Acknowledging the emotion. Right now, I'm frustrated. Right now, I'm anxious. Okay. I might not know why immediately, but I do know the feeling. What can I do with that feeling? Right? What helps me in this moment? Maybe I need some time away from my family and I need to just go to the garage, do a breather. Maybe I need to go for a walk. And then when you come back and you're more grounded, you can say, okay, let me reflect on that. What did I just hear? What did I just do? What did I just think of that might have brought on that anxiety? Um, but it's just, if you don't know in that moment, that's okay. Just focus on what you do know. And that's, I have a feeling that I need to deal with right now. Yeah. Overwhelmed, giving myself a break. If I need to step out, take your breaks when you need it, right? It's, honey, I need, give me five to ten minutes. I'm going to go to the other room or I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to come back. Please don't do like some of the clients. I'm going to go for a walk. They go to a bar. Three hours later, they're back and then they're like off their face. They don't know what they're doing. It's like, you have to trust your partners and say, if I'm going for a walk or I'm going, I'm coming back. You cannot bar situation. <laughs> Maladaptive. Yes, that is correct. So resiliency. Growing up, this is where it comes with your parents. What were you taught about your feelings growing up? Were you taught this is what they are, this is how you cope with them? If not... And most of my clients didn't have that. They turned to drug use. They turned to alcohol. They turned to other just poor ways of coping, cutting. There's a lot of cutting. Um, so some people have a trauma, but they're more resilient because of their support system, because of their faith. Other individuals have a trauma, not as much support growing up, not very many healthy coping skills, healthy ways of just dealing with things. They haven't learned that. So they turn to unhealthy ways of coping, numbing, substance use, things like that. He was a spy? Yeah, so he's like a cross between Rambo and Robert De Niro. That's my dad. To him, like... You couldn't make this man cry if you dropped a 10-ton anvil on him. And he expected the same of me growing up, you know? Um, and to me, showing emotion was always a sign of weakness. Mm. And you never complained. You always pushed through. You got results no matter what. You know, very much like, like the general staff mentality. Like it was if your father was like the Joint Chiefs or something. Mm -hmm. That's just how he raised me. Mm -hmm. And I decided that that was obviously a worked way of looking at the world. But then I look at people, and then I'm sorry, I hope this doesn't apply to anyone, who are in their parents' basement and they're like 45 years old. And they are always perseverating about their emotions. They're always hyper aware of them. They're unable to get through any trauma. And what I said is I have two beautiful children, ages six and three. Like, how do I combine that, what, 20 years of boot camp I went through with this like softer, kinder approach, you know, psychology, psychology to have children that maybe aren't burnt to a crisp with toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. but also aren't like covered in like powdered sugar, like something like right down the middle. Yeah. Powdered sugar and then the basement, right? We don't want no. that. No. 20, they're out. 20, you're out. All right. They're out. Age. Mom, do you agree? Absolutely no? not. No? We'll talk about it at home. <laughs> Got some conflict there. Talk it over. So you have a good example because your father set the foundation. Your father parented a certain way, and we take away from our parents. 
we are a product of our parents. So we take what works and what didn't work. Sometimes we don't want to be like our parents, but we end up doing something very, very similar. For example, I had a client that would say, I never beat my kid. My dad would beat me all the time. I'm not going to do that. But what did he do to his child? He put his kid in a closet for hours as a punishment. I never touched him, though. That's still abusive. That's still traumatizing. That's still scary. So what you're describing, right, the, the fluff, the powder, or toxic masculinity, it's important to reflect on that. What's helpful? What, what scares my children? What enhances their life, right? What works? What doesn't? Talk with your partner, right? Maybe her upbringing is different. She didn't have a spy father that was however you <laughs> described your dad, right? It's talking and coming together, see what works, what doesn't. You have two different backgrounds and, you know, seeing just talking it through and seeing what works. Finding a healthy balance. It sounds like you're acknowledging, Dad, there wasn't a balance. It was one way. What we call a helicopter parent. That's, that's not healthy. It's not helpful. Kids need space to feel. Kids, kids need space to experiment things and make mistakes and to grow and to feel safe doing so. What was that? Apache helicopter. Apache helicopter. Okay. Yeah. Any other questions? No. You guys are doing great. So things that help. Coping skills, some things that help. Exercise, get those endorphins going. You all have stressful lives. You have work, you have family, you have obligations, responsibilities. Go for a walk. Like I go for a walk outside. I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't done it recently, but I like around my complex. I'll go and I'll walk in between my clients and I'll take a little break. The Arboretum is beautiful. $17, knock your socks off, go walk around, look at plants, look at all the beautiful flowers and ponds and fish. Like get out and be in nature. Nature is amazing for us. It's very healing. Give yourself that break. Journal. I have clients that are like, I don't even want to look at a pen and paper. All right, don't look at it. Just You want to type it? How about typing? Let's type it and then put it away. Sometimes journaling, when you write out your feelings, your thoughts, your experiences, and then you close the book, it helps because at least it's out of your system. It's not just stuck in your head, constant worrying. Make art. I tell clients, if you don't want to like really draw pictures, at least doodle. If blue is depression, put that down. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to draw about it, just Doodle, put blue, associate colors with feelings, and get it out in that way. Talk to a loved one. I'm having a hard time. I'm in need of support. I'm feeling fearful, or I'm struggling right now. Read a book, take a shower. I always tell my clients, imagine the showers washing away the anxiety of the day. Imagine the showers washing away the stress of the day. Like I said, if you have a bathtub, use it. Put that Epsom salt in there, lay in it, very relaxing. Help yourselves do what works. That's me. Sometimes I, after my shift, I'm like, bye, Tony. I'm going to the bathtub, and I need me time, and I'm relaxing. And he knows. He knows what works for me. You know, sometimes he'll even offer, like, do you need a bath? I'm like, yeah, I do. And so I've, taught, I've talked about what helps, and he sees sometimes when I'm a little frazzled, like, how about we do this right now? I'm like, that sounds good. Let's do that. Watch videos. Drink tea. You know, progressive muscle relaxation. How much time do I have? I'm good. Okay. 
Progressive muscle relaxation is awesome. I teach this to everyone. So this is really good stress, tension, anxiety. We carry the tension in our shoulders. There was a client, doctors couldn't figure out why she had so much knee pain, x-rays, everything, couldn't figure it out. By doing progressive muscle relaxation and mindfulness, like a body scanning actually, body scanning is like focusing on your head to toe, where are you carrying your tension. She found she was actually clenching her knee so tight without even realizing it. And that's why she was having knee pain. And so by being very mindful of your body, what am I feeling right now? Where am I carrying my stress? I carry it in my shoulders. One of them, actually, my right one. I don't know why. I just I tighten it right here. And if I'm not careful, at the end of the day, I'm like, I am in pain. Like, this hurts. So being very mindful. Where am I clenching? Where am I holding my stress? So, okay, I'll lead you guys through a body, uh, a, what's it called? Progressive muscle relaxation. So... I want you to clench your shoulders for five seconds and release. I want you to hold your fist, make a fist with your right hand, five seconds and release. Do it with your left, make a fist, hold it tight. We're clenching here and release. Tighten your, your thighs, tighten them. Put your feet down. Hold five seconds. And release. Curl your feet. Curl your toes. Five seconds. And release. Tighten your calves. Pull, pull, pull. And release. Doing this before bed or actually throughout the day is very helpful because what you're doing is you're alleviating and releasing the tension from your body. You can find scripts online, progressive muscle relaxation, and go through them. And using that can really help remove the tension from your body. I love this. It's one of my favorites. Um, so, yeah, I, I talked about body scanning, but from head to toe, just look through and see where am I carrying my tension today? Where am I, where am I holding my stress? And just breathing it out, focusing on your breathing and Stretching it out, breathing it out, getting it out of your system. Decrease caffeine. My one client, I'm like, 10 cups of coffee. <laughs> Got to work on this. this. Games, finding a game that you like. If it's online, download a game on your phone. I like this bejeweled game, and I three colors together, and they pop, and it just makes my day. I love it. It's relaxing. Focusing on the present moment, being with your loved ones. What am I doing? I'm having dinner with my, you know, my spouse, my children, taking in this moment. Let me enjoy the day and just let any worry out, go out. I don't need the worry right now. Reminding yourself, I'm safe. I'm in control. It will pass. Adult coloring books are amazing. You just doodle, right? Doodle, doodle, doodle. It's amazing. You don't even have to think. Oh, yes, they're on the phone, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, guided imagery. Sometimes when we're stuck in a place where we don't want to be, imagine where you do want to be. Where's a safe place? Where's a fun place? A lot of people say, I'm at the beach, I'm laying out, I'm getting the sun, or I'm by the pond and I'm, you know, fishing. I've heard, I'm like, fishing, okay, let's go with the fish. Others are, what did I hear? Oh, I'm at a rave. I'm like, we said relaxing. They're like, yeah, that relaxes me. I'm like, whatever works. Whatever works. My teens, I'm relaxing. 
So stretch, sleep, you know, get your eight hours, hydrate, drink your water, therapy, and some of the affirmations I was talking about that I really like for anxiety. My anxiety doesn't define me. When anxiety visits, I can breathe it away. Every breath I take fills my soul with ease. I am strong. However big the mountain, I can climb it. I'm not afraid about what could go wrong. I'm excited about what can go right. I am in control. I have everything that I need. I know that this will fade away. I am safe and loved. So finding affirmations online can be really helpful as well. Whenever you need a reminder, a little pick-me-up, I'm okay, I'm going to be okay, I can get through this, it could be very powerful. If no one's telling it to you and you can't tell it to yourself, the computer will tell you, mind you. And as a reminder, maybe this isn't for everyone, but if you see that the anxiety is impacting you to the point where you cannot leave your home, where you're struggling with your relationships, with your work, there's no shame in taking medication for your mental health. Go talk about it. Talk therapy and medication is very effective. Um, yeah. So support yourself in whatever way you need. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys for your time. Yeah. I hope I answered your question somewhat, gave you a little bit of an idea of what anxiety is and small helpful ways that you can cope with it. Turn to your spouses, your loved ones. Um, yeah, hope it was helpful.